Well, hey, here we are. It's the last normal Wednesday night of the year before we break out the pools and the water slide, and we're, uh, we're wrapping up the book of Esther here. And we've been, we've been in the book of Esther now for a couple months, and uh, maybe this is your first time here, and you've missed the whole thing. And here we are wrapping up this book, and I want you to know, fear not, uh, because we're actually, what we're going to do tonight is a little bit different. I want us to just rewind with the book of Esther. I want us to go back to the very beginning and to walk through and see where we've come now in this book. And so I'm not going to talk for long tonight. Uh, I want us to, to end uh, actually in prayer together. We're going to do something different than we've done before. We're not going to have you pray in your seats here. We're not going to uh, have you even on your own. I'm going to invite you at the end here as we wrap up to gather up with a few people around you and to go somewhere on this campus this beautiful parking lot of a campus, and, uh, and to find a spot to be with God and to pray and to invite God uh, to break into your life, to, for, the, for the kingdom of God, for the reality of who God is, to change you and, and to be at work this summer as we go to camp, as we ask him to, to change our lives, to, to speak to, to our friends. That's what we're going to do tonight. So, so here we are, though, at the end of the book of Esther, and if you guys remember, at the very beginning, uh, we kind of set the scene of where things were. The, the kingdom of Israel, if, you, if you've read much of your Bible, you know that this nation of Israel is this kind of, it's this big thing in the Old Testament, right? God grabs this group of people and he says, not because you're awesome or because you're the, the strongest or the biggest or my favorite even, it, I, just because I love you and I want to bless the world through you, I'm going to make you my people. And, and this is the nation of Israel. And he says, I want to be your God and I want you to be our people. And he, he makes a covenant with them. And, and they, they form this nation and God blesses them and and, and yet things go sideways for Israel, right? King after king comes into power who does not know God, who does not obey him, who, who puts idols in front of the people, who worships other gods, who disobeys, who's wicked. And slowly this kingdom breaks apart and, and becomes a shell of what God wanted it to be, right? And God's people actually eventually are, are defeated, are captured, are taken away. And this book of Esther opens in not Israel, but in Persia. And God's people now have been taken out of their land. Their kingdom has been destroyed. They have been taken to Persia, and now God's people are living in a foreign land under a foreign king, under people who don't know him, who don't honor him, who don't know his word, who don't read the Bible, and they're living this life of saying, what does it mean for us to know and love God, and yet to live in this nation that knows nothing of him, that actually maybe even hates God, that's, that's destroyed us, that's conquered our city, that's taken us away. We live in captivity. And what do we do with this? And this is where the book of Esther opens. And, and if you're living in this kingdom, it's a real reality, right? This kingdom of Persia, there's, there are just things about it that you can't get around. There's a king who has all the power. Whatever he wants to do gets done. If he says a decree, it's followed. There's no second guessing it. There's nothing you can do, right? There's no hope whatsoever of the people of Israel revolting or, or, or running away or anything. Like, there's nothing they can do. The power is overwhelming. This king, this, this nation, this army, it's the most powerful nation in the world, right? And the people of God are this small people group that aren't armed, that, that don't have an army, that don't have a king, that don't have a leader, right? They're living under the power of somebody else. That's just how it is. But it's not as bad as it could be, right? They're, they're actually allowed to live somewhat peaceful lives, somewhat have some level of freedom. And so really like the best you can hope for in this kingdom is to kind of keep your head down, 
right? To not make any enemies, to just live a peaceful, quiet life, to hope that, that you don't upset the king, to hope, hope that you don't upset anyone who has power, to hope that you can make enough money to, to maybe have a family and to provide for the people that are there, and you just hope that life will be okay, that it'll be good. That's, that's kind of your hope for, for your life if you're living here. And, and this, this book opens with a family. Esther is, is the niece of someone named Mordecai. Jews, they love God, they know God. Uh, they're living in Persia, and, and the story starts out with something going wrong, right? And if you remember this, you know, Esther gets taken from her home, gets drugged before the king. The king's decided that he's going to find a new queen, that he's going to find a new wife, and it doesn't matter whether you want to be his wife or not, he's going to find one. And so Esther gets taken from her family, taken from her home, right, forced into really what is sexual slavery. I, I mean, this, it's ugly. We tell this story sometimes like it's a kid's story, you know, like how, how fun and awesome that Esther got to be queen. And, and you know, it's, it's true that God miraculously works to put her in the spot she's in to be used for his purposes, for his people. But, but Esther's taken without, without choice, right? I mean, she's, she's forced to come sleep with the king, to be his wife, this king that's, that opposes her people, right, that doesn't know her God. She's forced in that situation, and, and we don't get any answer for, for years even. She's in this position being taken, and, and no answer from God. I don't know if you can imagine what it's like to have this terrible thing going on, to live in a foreign land, to not know why God would have this be reality for you, but it is. And, and we've been asking this question in this series. We, we called the series, Where is God? Right? And if you've been here, any of these messages, we've asked this question, where is God? We call it that because this is one of the only books in the whole Bible where from beginning to end, God's name is never mentioned. It's very weird, right? The Bible is about God. So, so why on earth would there be a book in the Bible where God is never mentioned once? And I think the reason, the reason we're talking about it is because this book, this story of Esther is designed to force us to ask the question, God, where are you? Where are you working, right? And what I love about that is that that's our life, right? There's no narrator of our life, right? When you, when you don't make the soccer team or when you fail that class or when your, your boyfriend breaks up with you, your girlfriend breaks up with you, whatever, there's no, like, narrator saying, you know, God then tested Sarah to see if she would be faithful in the midst of this trial. Like, no, you just, you just live life, right? You just have to look around and go, God, why? Where? Where are you, where are you? What do you want me to do? And this is, this is what this book does. So Esther's taken out of her family. She's forced into this marriage she doesn't want to be a part of, right? And for years she's there, and we're going, God, where are you, right? Are these, are these still your people? Do you still love them? Do you still care at all, right? And it actually gets worse. Mordecai, her uncle, who loves God, who's faithful, who's doing his job the best he can. He works in the palace. He's somewhat well-respected. He refuses to bow down to Haman, who's a wicked, evil person, but who has a lot of power. And Haman, not only does he take it out on Mordecai, but because Mordecai's a Jew, because Mordecai's, his devotion to God doesn't let him bow down to Haman, Haman not only seeks to destroy Mordecai, but he says, I'm actually going to destroy all of Mordecai's people. Every Jew, every person who's a part of Mordecai's nationality, we're going to destroy them. And this is God's people, right? So they've been taken out of their nation, brought into captivity. Not only that, but now in the most powerful nation on the planet, there's a decree that on a day soon in the future, Everyone in the entire empire is going to take up arms and kill 
every Jew they can find. Men, women, children, annihilate the Jews, God's people, right? Where's God? Where's God? Why would God allow something like this to happen? And, and maybe you could even put yourself not in Esther's shoes, not in Mordecai's shoes, but just in, you know, any Jewish family, right? I mean, just doing the best you can to get by, wondering where God's faithfulness is going to show up. How is God going to redeem this situation? And, and not only are, are you forced to live in this thing, but now suddenly you realize that you're going to be killed, that there, an angry mob is going to take up arms, break into your house, and murder you, and there's nothing you can do. There's nowhere you can go, right? There's nowhere you can hide. There's nobody to, to run to. There's no police to call. There's nobody to protect you. You're on your own. And this is, the, this is the situation we find early on in the book of Esther, and yet we see that, es- that God has put Esther where she is for a purpose, right? Mordecai goes to Esther. He says this. He says, you have to go to the king. You have to, Right? If you, I mean, it's kind of implied here because remember the, the, the book doesn't say the, word, the, the name God. But it's like if you trust God, if you believe in God, if you're faithful to God, you've, you've got to do something. God's put you in this place for such a time as this, right? And, and she's forced to reckon with the reality of God's presence and God's kingdom in the midst of this terrible kingdom that she's a part of, right? Everything's clear to her. Every, every, every day of her life, she shows up. She sees the king on the throne, right? The king of Persia. She sees the way that, that he wields ultimate authority to do whatever he wants. In fact, we hear that there's a law, right, that you can't even go knock on the king's door and show up and go talk to him. This is how powerful, this is how big of a deal that he thinks he is. He calls on you to come talk to him, Right? If you knock on the door and come into his, into his room when he's on the throne, you're killed. Right? No warnings. No timeouts. No jail sentence. You're killed. Okay? This is, this is how much power he has. Esther sees that every day. She's, she's confronted with the, the reality of the kingdom she lives in every day. Mordecai is saying, look, do you believe that, that there's something more? Do you believe there's something deeper? Do you believe that God might be at work, that he might actually have you here for a purpose, that the king of the universe, the one who actually has the power, the one who created this world, who created you, who created me, that he might actually have a say in what happens to his people, that if you trust him, that you might actually put aside the power of the king of Persia, put aside the power of this kingdom, and say, I believe in a greater king, and I'm going to put my life on the line. And this is the, this is the choice that Esther makes, to, to put her life on the line, to approach the king, knowing full well he has come complete power to kill her, but to go in and say, I need to talk to you because something terrible is going to happen to my people. And she's, she's amazing. She has faith and she does it. And she's, she takes her time. She puts on these banquets. She, she wines and dines. She actually, she actually finally tells the king that Haman is the one behind it. And, and this second half of the book that we've been, we see this turning, this turning point from Esther's faith to trust God, where we see the way that God was at work in the whole story. We see everything get flipped around, right? Haman, who had all the power to actually decree that all the Jews be killed, right? Who was, who was trying to end Mordecai's life, we see that get flipped, right? Haman gets found out by the king. He gets killed. He actually gets put on the pole that he had set up to kill Mordecai. He gets thrown on it and killed himself, Right? We see a decree go out because of Esther and Mordecai that not only are the Jews, uh, that, that, that when, the, when people go to kill the Jews, the Jews are able to defend themselves. Right? The Jews actually are, are able to defeat their enemies. We see that get turned on its head. 
right? And, and we're, we're in the beginning of the book, we see the king's ultimate power. The second half, we finally see that actually there's a deeper reality going on. That there is a real king. That there is a true person who has all the power. That it's actually God. That's actually Yahweh, the God of his people. That he's in control. That even when you don't see him, that he's actually working behind the scenes. And, and so this, this book ends in 9 and 10 with the ultimate victory of God's people. That when their enemies go to defeat them, when, they, when their enemies go to kill them and wipe out every man, woman, and child, that they actually are able to be victorious to defeat their enemies. And there's this celebration, there's this day where they remember, even today, what God did. And, and this is the point, is that God uses you and I. He uses the situations we're in to, to accomplish his purposes, even when you can't see it. Even when you don't know how he's going to do it or why he allows things to happen, God is still at work. That he has the ultimate power, that he is the king, that there's more than one kingdom. And that the ultimate reality is that God is on the throne, that he's in charge. And this is where we get left. And it's not just that we can celebrate that, that the Jews won. I mean, that's, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier in this series, but but what the Bible does is it's a mirror to us, right? When we, when we come to the scriptures, it's God's word to us, to our hearts, to our minds, to our life. The point is that, that we see the way that, that God deals with us, the way he cares for us, the reality of who God is that happens as we come to the scriptures. It's not just about a story that happened a long time ago. It's about you and me here right now. And the question for you is, do you recognize the reality of God's kingdom? Right? We live in a kingdom too. We don't live in Persia, but, but we live in a world that just has reality about it, where people have power that, that aren't us, where, where there's a life that we can hope to live, and I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if that's that you want to do really well in school and, and go to a good college and get a good job. I don't know if that's you want to find the right person to date and marry and have a family and have kids. I don't know if that's, you know, you want to be successful in whatever sport you're doing or whatever it is and, 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 and get recognition. And, and be seen for, for what you've worked hard for. I don't, I don't know, but like, there's just this reality, this kingdom of the way the world works. And we live in the middle of it. And it's, and it's true. And in the same way that Esther could have said, you know what, I, man, the king has all the power. Uh, I'm not going to go talk to him, right? I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I'm probably not going to get killed. I can go live in my world and not think about what's happening outside these walls to God's people, Right? She says, no, I actually, I'm going to believe that God's in control, that he might be using me here, that that he has more power than even the king of Persia, that the the life that everybody around me thinks is there is all there is here, that it's not true, that there's more. And so my question for you as we wrap this book up is, do you recognize that? Do you see the reality of the kingdom of God? Right when Esther's making this choice, Mordecai has come to her, he said, you know, you got to, you got to go talk to the king. And she said, look, if I do that, he's going to kill me. And he says, well, maybe you've been put here for a reason. Maybe you're the queen right now for this moment. Okay, and when her response, when she's made her decision, when she says, you know what, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe that there's a reality greater than what I see, that God really is truly on the throne. She says this. She says, I want you to go and gather all the Jews who are in Susa, the city they're in, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. 
And this is this moment, I mean, so this book, right, it, it doesn't talk about God, this, this word fasting, it's like, it's like a marker for you to get what's going on without them really saying it, right? Fasting, what is that? It's not just not eating for no, for no point. It's not just going on a diet. She, she's not saying like, hey, for three days, try to lose some weight and then we'll, and then we'll do this, no, right? No. Okay. Fasting is setting aside, it's setting aside our hunger and our, our thirst for the things of this world so that we can turn our attention to the reality of who God is, that we can go before God in prayer and say, God, I, I need you the same way that my body needs food, right? I'm going to set aside my body's need for food so that I can focus on my deep need for you. That's fasting. And so she says, look, all of us together, we're going to go before God. We're going to come before the God of this universe, and we're going to pray and ask him to move, and then I'll go to the king. And at that point, if I die, then I die. But God's the one who's in control, not me. And this is this amazing moment of faith, and this is what I want to ask us to do right now, right here, in just a second, when you're going to go out into the parking lot with each other. That's what we're going to do together. We're going to come before God. We're going to pray. We're going to say, God, we believe in the reality of your kingdom, and you know what? We want that to change us. Like, we want the the fact that you are real, that you have ultimate power, that you have a plan for us. We want that to be what matters to us, not just my math homework, and not just the game that's on Friday, right? And and not just the way my friends think about me or what clothes I have. Like, that doesn't doesn't matter, right? That's that's nothing. That's this kingdom. That's the way that the people who don't know God live. That's the thing that that this world wants us to value, but we're going to come together with people who say, you know what, we actually know there's a deeper reality. We know that, that God does sit on the throne, that he's in control of everything. Right? And, that's, and that's what prayer is with a community. It's coming together with people who say, we know that there's something true about who Jesus is and about what it means to follow him that you can't see with your eyes here. Right? That, that people who, who don't have faith, don't, they miss it. But we know there's a reality. And you guys, God wants more for you. He wants more for your life than, than just getting good grades and, and being good at sports and having fun, you know? He, he wants more than just for you to go to college and get a job and get married and have a house. Man, what, I hope there's more to life than that. I don't, I don't know if you feel that way. He wants more. Man, God, God is using you right now, right here, to reach people with the truth of Jesus Christ, of the gospel, and say he wants a relationship with this world, right? He wants to, to bring the reality of his kingdom to you and I right here, right now. He's going to use you to do it. One of the things we're going to pray for is summer camp. And as we come together for a week, houseboating this summer, as we, as we come and we open the scriptures and we say, God, would you, would you reveal yourself to us? That, that people maybe for the first time would encounter Jesus and have their lives be changed. And that's going to happen through you. Maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe you're, you're wrestling with this right now. Maybe that's my prayer for you that you would encounter Jesus. But maybe it's your friend that that you've texted, that you've talked to, that, that God has put on your heart for a reason. And you've been wondering, man, should I, should I try again? Should I invite him? And it's going to be through your faithfulness to say, you know what? There's something bigger going on in my life than just my plants this summer. There's something bigger going on in my life, and I'm going to be obedient. And so that's what we're going to do right now is pray together. So in a second, um, I'm going to dismiss you guys, and I encourage you to grab a few people. Uh, not, a, not a lot, you know, uh, a handful, four or five, and, and I invite you to even grab somebody you don't know, you know, grab somebody that, that you just met tonight. And I'm going to invite you when we dismiss you to just to go out on this campus somewhere, somewhere where you're not going to be overheard by other groups, somewhere where you're not going to be a distraction, 
And I want you to go out there, and I don't want you to talk for 15 minutes about what you're going to pray for. I want you to pray. And, and so when you get out there, I want you guys to stand in a circle or sit on the ground or, or whatever you want to do. And I want you to hold hands and close your eyes and pray together. And, and somebody just go out there and say, let's start praying. And you know You don't have to pray. If, uh, if, you, if you don't feel comfortable praying, that's, that's totally okay. But I invite you to. Uh, man, I, I've seen it so many times in my life. God works in your heart when, he's, when he has your heart, when he, when he has your obedience, when you step out of your comfort zone. And for some of you, that's going to be right now, tonight, praying. It's going to be saying, I'm going to be obedient to God, and I'm going to actually speak even though I feel awkward about it. And, and would you look for God to use that obedience to, to reveal himself to you maybe a new way? I mean, man, what, what if there's a deeper reality? What if there's more? We're going to pray right now and invite God to change our lives. And, uh, and so in just a second here, do that. Where there's nothing at the end tonight. When you're done, you're done. Um, and I invite you just to come back and hang out and to, to leave the other groups alone, uh, to not bother them. And uh, man, I'm just, I'm excited to, to be here with you guys. I'm excited for this summer. I'm excited for what God's doing. And uh, Jesus is on the throne. He's king. So let's pray. So go ahead, grab, grab a few people, have these doors. We'll see you in a little bit.